Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. We're going to cover several uh, topics this morning. I... I Sometimes you find these passages of scripture where um, I'm a verse by verse preacher. I prefer to like preach verse by verse. Sometimes I only get three or four verses in before um, on a on a Bible study. This one has a quite a bit in it. It's chocked full of, of theology. We a little bit of a background though, just to give you an idea. The thing that that happened just previous to this, we're in the Gospel according to John, chapter nine. We are going to get into chapter ten, uh, but we got to go back into chapter nine a little bit to give us. Uh, kind of the jumping point for where Jesus is addressing this issue. The issue was Jesus just born, he just uh, healed somebody who was born blind. You guys are probably familiar with that story. Um, of course, the Pharisees thought that this was a problem, so they had their little meeting um, about the blind man. Uh, Jews, hey, let me ask you a question. This isn't something that's just limited to Jews. How many of you guys have had something bad happened in life and you genuinely wondered what you did to deserve that? <laughs> it is a human nature issue. It's a human nature issue. Now, I'm not going to tell you that God will not step in sometimes and try to teach us lessons in our life, but I am going to say that it is not right for me to look at somebody's circumstances and go, what sin are you refusing to give up? That's the way the Jews were. The Jews believed that if this dude was born blind, then his parents were involved in some kind of a sin that justified a punishment of blindness. So what this created in them was a little bit of a conflict. And this, this overall, this passage of Scripture addresses Jesus Christ's deity. Okay? Now, the conflict between Jesus Christ being considered a deity and the Pharisees who have made themselves a deity, this creates a problem for the Pharisees. Now, the Jews were so um, closed up to other individuals, they wouldn't let they wouldn't let people in. If people wasn't the people that they wanted them to be, they would actually kick them out of uh, Judaism. Uh, but then it got to where they seen all these people that Jesus was bringing in who weren't Jews; they were Gentiles, and that's why they caused Paul all of the problem. They were out there trying to get their get people to to uh, join their side and not be a part of Jesus Christ. So this conflict between them was something that was constantly going on. You know, if you've read the Gospels, they were constantly trying to trap Jesus. They were constantly trying to get him to trip up and say something that they could penalize him for. Well, this blind man goes and he testifies before the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin, basically what I just told you, it's what they said. The guy... The guy is, is basically standing there not blind. He is a testimony of God's grace, an affirmation. Jesus Christ himself is the one that actually healed this person. So now Jesus has put himself in, in conflict with, with the Pharisees' law. What the Pharisees have been running around and telling people all the time, this guy is blind because his parents were sinful and he's the punishment for that sin. What happens to your argument if this dude shows up in the middle of the room and can see. Now all of a sudden, either God forgave under Judaism sin. Let me under Judaism does does did God ever forgive sin under Judaism? Judaism was the was the the law, the Levitical law. That's Judaism. 
And then you take the Pharisees who actually blew it up into something more than the Levitical law even said that it was. These individuals, they don't believe that God will heal someone who's a sinner. They just don't believe he will. But when Jesus comes in and he himself, he is the manifestation of God on earth. And he comes in and heals this person. Now we have a conflict between who is really God and the individual's who had put themselves on the throne of God, the Pharisees. Okay? So we're going to start in chapter 9, starting with verse 35. This is right after the blind man. They put the blind man out, which basically meant they cooked, they kicked him out, uh, pretty much said, you're a sinner, you don't have any right to speak to us or to teach us, and they, and they kicked him out. So that's where we pick it up in 35. So uh, John, Gospel according to John, chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had put him out, And finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered and said, and who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said, you are both, you have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you now. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I came into the world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, we are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. Now this seems on the surface a little bit confusing. But it's not. What Jesus is addressing here with this man, and it's something that, to be honest with you, every one of us, uh, again, are guilty of. Um, If you were blind, you would have no sin, but since you see, or since you say we see, your sin remains. So here's, here's the way this works. Will something that's not broken, let me rephrase. Will something that says it's not broken ever allow itself to be repaired? No. Um, and, and I've told you guys this before, and I'm hope, hoping you take this as an encouragement. Um, after 34 years of reading the Bible, sermon preparations, studying, not bragging, I think that anybody over 34 years could probably consume a lot of Bible. Amen? Uh, it becomes very easy and tempting for us as individuals to open up our Bible and find ourselves in a familiar passage of Scripture and then decide that it's too familiar, we want to go find something that's less familiar. Because we're trying to learn, right? But the thing is, the instant that I take any passage of Scripture, and I say, oh, I know what that says. Guess what else I'm going to find in that passage of Scripture? Nothing. I ain't get nothing out of it. Why? Because I believe that I've studied it enough that I know it all. If I know everything that passage of Scripture has to offer, what can I learn? But you see, when we come to the realization, as I did, right smack in the middle of a seminary class, the more you learn, the more you figure out you don't know. In other words, you're answering questions through life in Christianity. You're not eliminating questions. You're creating questions. And we can't be people who close our eyes. To, to what is real and what is not real. And we know that 
Jesus won't save us unless we're willing to admit we're sinners, right? You know what that is? That's us as human beings saying, God, I'm broken. And God, Jesus himself, for an individual who says, God, I'm broken, he says, I can work with that. But if somebody shows up at church and they're God's gift to the church and they think that they know it all and that their conduct is perfect, they have nothing to learn, that person will learn absolutely nothing. So in context, he's basically saying, I came here so that the people who know that they're broken can be fixed and the people who don't know that they're broken can be judged. You say, well, that's a pretty big statement. Well, think about it. How many powers are there at work in this world? Oh, we like to categorize them. They're congressmen and senators and presidents and vice presidents, right? Those are the enemies, right? The Bible says we don't fight against flesh and blood. Now, there is a spirit. There is a spiritual warfare, and there is a lot involved with that. But, folks, we as individuals have to understand when we, when we say we see something, God can't do anything for us. When we say we don't see something, you open the Bible. There is no better scenario than for you to open up the Bible, sit down and put it in your lap, empty your brain of everything, and assume you know nothing. Been here for over 20 years. I've repeated a lot of sermons as far as their location goes. But you know the funny thing is that every time I went back and preached over the same passage of Scripture, it was different. It wasn't the same. And the reason it's not the same is because when we go study something and the Lord speaks to us and shows us something, we don't consider that the end all. We know it's just a matter of time. In our life, if we are active in our relationship with Christ and we are individuals who know that we're broken and we know where we're broken and we know how we broke, we could know everything about our brokenness. And God can work with that. I tell people in Bible studies all the time, when we go into Walmart to buy a fan, and there's two boxes sitting there, one of them's factory sealed and one of them's taped up, which one do we pick? We take the factory sealed one. We're not taking the one that somebody taped back up, right? Which one do you think Jesus picks? The one that's been taped up. He picks the one that's been taped up. Right? To me, this is one of the biggest supports for free will that there are in existence. Other people say, there's no such thing as free will. I can tell you now that if you're somebody in here today that believes that humans don't have free will, there are issues with the Bible. There are issues with it. There's issues with God, if that's the case. Because if we're saying that you don't have a choice, then you're also saying that God chooses to send people to hell. Right? Is that just? Is it righteous? Is that right? To create somebody who has a real soul for it to be tormented in hell for an eternity? Is that just or right? So what happens if, if you accept that as the truth? You just killed God's integrity. You just killed his attributes. Is it loving? If there was one thing that you had to put over the top of everything that God is, would you agree with me that it would be love? Is it an expression of love to create something and then kill it? And condemn it to hell for an eternity? 
You see, this is, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it because God gave me permission to do it. I'm going to do it. This is my issue with abortion. It's not just that it's a life at conception, but it's that whoever's carrying that baby went and committed an act that then made that baby dependent on her for its health and well-being until it's born. People call them parasites. They call them all kinds of different things. It's not a parasite. A parasite enters your body uninvited. A man and woman choose to go to bed with each other, and they make a baby. That baby had nothing to do with that. To me, there's, the logic is out the window. So what do we see? It's not, until, it's not until our blindness is repaired by God that we see the things from God's perspective. Do you hear what I'm saying? Now, what do we do with the information when we hear the things from God's perspective? When we see the things from God's perspective? Do we always accept them? Do we a majority of the time accept them? Or do we tend to fight with God over them? The number of times that Jesus tells people to keep their eyes open. Blindness happens to both sides of this. But it's better to be born blind and be given your sight by Christ than it is to be born with sight and then to lose it throughout your lifetime. This dude is living the life, and he's a walking testimony. When Jesus asked him, hey, in a nutshell, hey, want to go to heaven? Son of man, he's the one that can get you there. Well, I'd love to meet the dude. I'm right here. Jesus healed a lot of people in his ministry. The lepers, remember? Healed them. What did he tell them all to do? Go to the temple, show yourself to the priest, right? All ten of them leave. How many of them came back? One. It's bad enough for us to be people who glorify God for the things that he does do in our lives. It's a difficult thing for us to do. He deserves with us as believers, when he gives us the ability to see, what we're seeing is important. What we're seeing gives us the ability to act and interact with society around us in a Christian manner. Well, some of the things I was talking about in the class this morning, you don't go after people for doing things that the Bible doesn't talk about specifically. You don't, you're always motivated with love. You always, is there a hard line? Yes. Highland refuses to back off the truth. We're not going to do it. It's not going to happen, I, I believe, not just as long as I'm here, but I believe as long as you all are here, nothing's going to happen. The truth, as far as the truth's concerned, it's foundational. But the truth with love is the command. How are you supposed to know who God wants you to share the gospel with if your eyes aren't open? If he hasn't touched our eyes and healed them, 
then how are we supposed to see the lost? How are we supposed to see the broken? How are we supposed to see those who are genuinely in need? How are we supposed to see anything around us if we're not looking through the eyes that Christ gave us? Chapter 10, starting with verse 1. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. Now I want you to think of this in context while we read through this, because I'm going to read through it quite a bit. I want you to think, of, think about it in context. Look at these verses again. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. These are Pharisees who are not under grace because they've not believed that Jesus is who he says that he is. But these individuals are trying to get to heaven by living the law. So the person climbing the gate or climbing the fence to try to get in another way that are thieves and robbers. In other words, Jesus is saying if somebody wants to be, if somebody wants to be a part of the purpose, the plan, and the future that God has in store, all you have to do is follow the instructions. Now, I understand the complication with this, okay? I, I think last week or week before I asked that question. If you, if you spent 4,000 years or 2,000 years at the time, you've got 2,000 years of before flood history. You've got 2,000 years from the flood to the point that they're living now. So over the term of 4,000 years, they have been taught from a very young age Judaism. It would be the equivalent of me walking into church one day and saying there is now a third covenant. How hard would it be for you to leave the second? It would not be an easy thing to do, would it? I mean, it would be very difficult for you to have things ingrained in you, your religious history, over 4,000 years. And then this dude shows up one day and goes, oh, yeah, that's what all this really meant. I'm here to die for you. And they're like, oh, no, you're not. That's not what it's about. It's about the law. So these people are trying to, how many people in the world do you think are trying to get to heaven by some other means other than walking through the door? I mean, let, me, let me rephrase the question. Let me phrase it this way. If you walked up to people who genuinely believed in the heaven and hell, how many of them do you think would throw their hands up and say they want to go to hell? And I'm here to tell you, if there is any that comes off with these smart aleck remarks, oh, yeah, when I get there, we're going to throw a party. Not that kind of place. No, you're not. If people believe there was a literal heaven and a literal hell, and you walked up and asked them, where do you want to go? Someone who is reasonable, not drunk, not stoned off their gourd, what's the answer going to be? Eternal torment or eternal perfection? Perfection. Everybody wants to go to heaven, right? Everybody wants to go to heaven. Some of these religions out there are even promising people 72 virgins that they get to heaven. I mean, heaven is a focal point for every religion. Nobody wants to go to hell. But the question is, isn't how many people want to go to hell. The question is how many people are willing to follow the instructions as, as God gave them as to how you get there. 
said this before, but I think it's worth repeating often. You know, people in the Old Testament are saved by the exact same thing that they're saved in the, in the New Testament. They say, well, wait a minute, Jesus wasn't in the Old Testament. Well, I'm going to say this with caution. Jesus is the source of salvation because the Father said Jesus is the source of salvation. You got me? That was the plan. So when Abraham believed God, it was accredited to him as righteousness. How many of you believe that Abraham went to heaven? He got to heaven. How did he get there? Believing God. Now in the New Testament, John 3, 16, I was very familiar with, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So according to God, how are you saved? By believing in Jesus. Well, then is Jesus the source of salvation? Or is the source of salvation what God the Father said the source of salvation was? Just happened to be Jesus. You getting this? Every bit of this has to do with whether we believe God or not. We can't be individuals who are trying to climb the fence to get in another way because it's impossible to get in that way. You must go through the door. Start with verse 2. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Question. How personal was Judaism? It's impossible for Judaism to be personal. It's impossible because it's all logical. You do what you do because that's what you're told to do. And you may hear Christians say that, well, why in the world would I do that? Because God said to. Well, that's a cheap answer. There's a purpose behind everything that God wants us to do. Let's focus on the purpose and not just God told us to. But these Pharisees are messed up individuals. The Son of God is standing right in front of them. Now, I'm not saying that we, weren't be cap- we wouldn't be capable of being just like they were. I'm not saying that. On the surface, though, this seems pretty amazing. These dudes who were so in love with themselves, so in love with their money, and so in love with their power, stood in the presence of the second person of the Trinity were eyewitnesses to miracles that have never been done on earth before. And they still chose to stick with the law. And you've heard me say that we as individuals who are Baptist, we get pretty close to being individuals who follow the law. telling you we got it on its head we hear God's voice when it says we hear God's voice it's talking about we recognize God's voice and it's not that we recognize his voice because he stands outside of the fence and talks to the horse all the time it's because he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out it's a personal relationship he calls them by name And then he leads them out. This is personal. I did a deep dive study on some stuff in the book of Acts. I found it very curiously interesting. And one guy mentioned one case on on here before. And the study was basically, you know, that churches become so mechanical. 
there's not a whole lot of fellowship or but real relationships that go on inside uh, churches. Highland's always been blessed with that. But, I mean, for the most part, fellowship has pretty much been, I mean, people, honestly, people are punching the time clock. Remember I said a while ago we live by rules? People think that if they come to church, God's going to like them more. If they don't go to church, he's going to like them less. People actually believe that. If I ask a blessing over my food, God might, he might protect it this time. If I don't ask my blessing over God's food, well, maybe I might get poisoned, food poisoned. God doesn't operate this way, folks. The Bible speaks on liberty, and it says some things that are pretty astonishing that if you are not ready to hear it, it's difficult to hear. When Paul said all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable, all things are lawful. Paul said that. You talk about liberty. He's saying you can do anything that you want to. But then he followed that up with, but anything you want to doesn't have a positive effect on the kingdom. It can have a negative effect on the kingdom. It can have no effect on the kingdom. Us being motivated as individuals who hear the voice of God are being faithful and obedient to the voice of God when he leads us out, what do you suppose he's leading us out for? I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw in an al- a hillbilly analogy at you. Do you learn more by sitting in these pews on Sunday, or by taking the things that you learn on Sunday and mixing them with the experiences that you have that there on Monday through Saturday? I'll tell you something, folks. A church that stays in the church is not a church. It's not. We've spent decades as Baptists. I remember a pastor that I grew up under who was in trouble because he didn't try to take a guy's friend who he brought to church that morning into his office and try to talk him into becoming a Christian. And you've heard me say this before, folks. I want you to find me one place in Scripture, one place, that asks the lost person to come into the church. Then by comparison, I want you to find every place in the Scripture that says that the church is supposed to get off of their hind ends, leave the building, and go find the lost person. Which of the two is there? No lost person. This place is not for lost Does that sound shocking to you? It's the truth. This building is not for lost people. This building is for people who trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, who come together every week for the sake of us encouraging each other, for the sake of discipleship. That's what it's for. So if the gospel was not intended to be spoken inside the church, but we know without a doubt that God has commanded us to proclaim the gospel, where should we be doing it? You'll notice that he also didn't say, calls his own sheep by name, and he lets them out. Did you notice that one word in there? Bleeds. Culture has taught us somehow that when we're in the church, we need to be Christians. 
And somewhere along the line, and I'm not saying everybody, but there are individuals who hit the door on Sunday morning when church is over, and they live like the world the rest of the week. I want you to know that when you leave this church this morning, Jesus is not letting you out. He is leading you out. Which means when you're out there, you're not by yourself. And you've heard me say before, when I was younger, I was tall, but I was skinny as a bed rail. My brother's great big. I was always a tougher guy when I was around my bigger brothers than I was when I wasn't. I was very careful when I was by myself because you just didn't know where the bully was going to come from. For some reason, they were drawn to six foot tall, 110 pound soaking wet sixth graders. Yeah, I was six foot tall in the sixth grade. Skinny as a bed rail. Let me ask you something. If we knew, if we remembered that God didn't let us out, that he leads us out, that when an opportunity provides itself, maybe a gospel opening by helping somebody throw something in the back of their car at Walmart or reaching something off the top shelf or whatever the scenario may be, When we remember that Jesus is with us, it's way easier to be obedient and faithful. How many of you guys grew up doing something bad that you would not do in front of your parents? If you know your parents are there, you're really careful about the way you conduct yourself, right? If your parents aren't there, do you care? So we forget. We forget that God's there, and us forgetting that God is there makes us not care. When we remember God's there, not only do we yield to his authority, but we also take encouragement from the strength and the wisdom that he can provide to us while he's standing right there. A direct connection to us. He doesn't let us out. He leads us out. He goes with us. Very involved in everything that we do. Verse 4, when he puts forth all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And a stranger, they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Do not know the voice of strangers. Let me ask you something. Would Jesus ever lead you astray? No. I mean, there are spirits that claim to be Jesus that will try to lead you astray. But Jesus will never, ever lead you astray. So it, when it says a stranger, they simply will not follow. It means that we recognize his voice, we hear his voice, and as believers, we also have something else that brings attention to this statement. When the shepherd takes the sheep out of the pen, what is he doing for them? You guys ever seen a sheep pen? Not that they had a whole lot of grass around that area at the time anyway. But a sheep pen has no grass in it. It's been all been trampled down into mud, to dust. So if a sheep's going to eat, you got to lead them out, right? Back then they didn't have these little spouts where we could turn the handles on. Water just automatically, magically pumps out of it into a bucket or into a big barrel. 
they actually had to haul enough water for all of these sheep. Well, they figured much easier to take the sheep to the water than it is to take the water to the sheep, right? And this was why, largely, shepherds pretty much stayed out in the fields with their sheep. Because they didn't have anything to eat at home, they didn't have anything to drink at home. They had to go out there in order for their provision to be met. But it says specifically that Jesus went before them. So Jesus is their provider. How many of you guys have ever gotten into a situation? You could have had an air conditioner breakdown. You could have had a vehicle breakdown. How many of you have ever gotten into a situation where circumstances just got you to the point where you were low on money, everything was a stretch, you get behind on things? Anybody ever been there? Why? Do we, as human beings, automatically run to the worst-case scenario when we face a difficulty? Now, I did that my whole life. The reason that I did that was I learned very early on that, um, that I could affect exactly how much I'm hurt by my choices, if you know what I mean by that. <clears throat> How many of you have ever been in those spots where you just know what you was going to do and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, something happens? And again, God don't test us. He doesn't test us. But this world we live in will. Regardless of who it is that's testing us, the test is beneficial. This is why we're supposed to consider it great joy when we go through various trials. Yeah, great joy, various trials. Seems, seems off, don't it? But we're supposed to be individuals who understand that Jesus is leading us out, and he's leading not. I mean, what happens to the sheep if the shepherd doesn't lead them out? If there's no grass, no water, what happens? I can tell you, I've known some Christians in my time who had gotten older, and they spent their entire life in the pen. And you know what it does to the Christianity of a person if they spend their entire life in a pen? It kills it. I'm not talking about dead like it's gone. But I'm talking about, I'm talking like, the Bible teaches very clearly that, you know, even during the test, if individuals, if individuals build out of, out of the material that burns up, they still get to go to heaven. Just by the skin of their teeth. How many of you want to slide into heaven by the skin of your teeth, knowing the first person you're going to meet? Knowing God is the first person you're going to meet. Who wants to slide into heaven by the skin of their teeth? If there was a crevice that was 500 feet tall this wide, let's say it's two feet wide to make it big enough for people like me. Two feet wide. When you jump the crevice, do you try to just go two feet? Or do you like to throw an extra one in there for good measure? Why is it that we as Christians are individuals who just live with the standards that we as individuals choose to live with? Do the same thing you've been doing, you're going to get the exact same result. Doing things over and over again, expecting a different result, is the definition of insanity. So how long do we have to spend our lives figuring out that the way we're living our lives in Christ isn't working? 
Christians can't be Christians just because they sit in churches. He has to be a part of our everyday lives. And I'm not talking about, I consider myself blessed as a vocation. I get in the middle of the week to go tell people about Jesus. That's almost unbelievable. You don't get paid to do it. And I'm not asking you to take days off work and to go out proclaiming the gospel. I'm just saying when we as individuals have the ability to understand what Jesus' motivation is to us, when we're individuals who understand that God is not an authoritarian just ready to crack us between the ears with a gun barrel every time that we make a mistake, it's not him. I'll go so far as to say you're going to suffer earthly consequences for any bad choice. You will suffer no spiritual consequences for your bad choices if you have truly trusted in Christ. And the reason for that is whatever you did that you just messed up, you will do everything that you can if you're really a Christian not to mess it up again. Because people get nervous when a preacher says, oh, you can do anything. Well, I mean, that's what the Bible says. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. That just gives people the permission to go out and do whatever they want to. The genuine Christians that you know in your life, how many of them who are genuine Christians, who are active in their faith, how many of those individuals act that way? They don't. In other words, no genuine Christian is going to look for an opportunity to justify sin. Doesn't matter what anybody says to them. If there's somebody who says, I can go live however I want to tonight because I'm under grace, they need to check the grace because it may not be the right kind. Christians don't do that. Christians don't plan to make mistakes. We don't do that. We do make them. But you show me somebody who says they're a Christian who plans their mistakes for the week, and I'll show you someone who just lied to you. They're not a Christian. Well, that's judgment. No, I didn't say they'll never be a Christian. I said they're not a Christian. And Jesus himself said you will know them by their fruits. You will know them by looking at them. You will know them by watching them. Genuine believers? Those are the people that not just listen, are here, but they're individuals who are listening. I can't do anything in my house without my dog being right there on me. I could be getting up, going to the sink, get a drink of water. Every time I get up, this dog, I don't, I don't know if the dog thinks we're going to a, to a dog park. I don't know if they, I've never been to a dog park. Got a big yard, don't need one. I don't know what the dog's thinking, but every time I get up, this dog jumps up, wag their tail so hard, their entire hind end, her entire hind end's moving side to side. She thinks we're going to do something. It's like, dude, I'm just going to get a drink. Need some water? I'll, I'll pull that off for you. But we should be like Sadie. What? God. Do you ever notice when the person who owns the horses around dinner time? walks out the door towards the barn, what all the horses do. And I've seen this with my own eyes. If the farmer doesn't show up one day, guess where all them horses are at? Same place they always are when that horse brings them food. 
or when that when that farmer brings them food. They know what time it is. They know when they're hungry. They know when they're fed. They know when they want to be fed. They're anticipating their owner. They're anticipating the one in authority over them. They're anticipating their presence. I'm almost ashamed to say that we're people that love Jesus to be around. And occasionally we ask him to go for a walk so we can be people that we don't want him to see. When the truth is we should be leaning on him for everything. If you believed with all of your heart that God was your provider, every meal you eat is a gift from God. It's a blessing. It's a blessing from God based on your faithfulness in his word. What does his word say? Don't work, don't eat, right? So we can't be individuals who shrug our responsibilities and then expect that God's going to take care of us. But if we work and we understand that everything from our paycheck to the food we put in our mouth to the water we put in our belly to the heated air that we pump into our houses, everything that we have, we have because God gave it to us. We become dependent individuals. That's the problem. The problem with most people is they don't want to be dependent, especially on a God that they can't physically see. Because they aren't looking for his attributes. They aren't looking for the evidence of him being there. They are looking for the embodiment of him. The truth is, and he even said this in the book of Romans, the first chapter. Nature and his invisible attributes make it to where people have no excuse. They can't say there is no God. That's God saying, I told them that there's a God. I have showed them that there's a God. This is exactly the same as the Pharisees seeing Jesus accomplish all these miracles and then turn around and say, we need to murder this guy because he's bad on our pocketbook. Because he's bad on our powerful influences. We aren't that much different than the Judaizers. We live by the list. We think that we deserve whatever we did because of, or we got because of whatever we did. When the truth is, God doesn't want people to just follow rules. He wants people to enter into a relationship. And I realize two, three weeks in a row, we're talking about relationships. He wants us to enter into a relationship. And I'll say this in closing. When I was doing that study in the book of Acts, some Greek word studies, Jesus, did you guys know that Jesus went to Peter's house? Well, we know that he went to Peter's house when he healed Peter's mother-in-law, right? There are actually, in the Greek, words that speak evidence. It uses the word path. How often did Jesus go to Peter's house? He wore a path in the ground. That's how often he went to Peter's house. And we know that they were all the same way because the book of Acts also gives us the account of Peter going to Mark's house, which is John Mark, right? Peter was imprisoned. He gets out. He goes to the door. He knocks on it. The servant lady comes to the door. She doesn't open it. She hears Peter's voice. She still doesn't open the door. She beelines into the house. She says, Peter's at the door. How did she know the servant? How did she know what Peter's voice sounded like? 
without seeing him. She'd heard it before. Many, many, many times before. That's how she recognized his voice. The relationships that Jesus had with his apostles are sprinkled all throughout the Gospels. The love, the care, the concern. Read the Gospel according to John chapter 15 sometime. Then get up over into chapter 17. You really see Jesus' heart when it comes to the people that he had been training up to be the ones who would institute the first church, New Testament church. Relationship, folks. We hear his voice, we recognize his voice, we follow him because we trust him. If we don't hear his voice, we don't listen to him, we don't follow him, there's a problem. Because I want to tell you all something. When we all leave here on Sunday, Jesus goes with us. If there's nobody in this building, Jesus isn't in this building. Because Jesus don't have relationships with buildings. He has relationships with people. So whether we're here, at home, or out there at Walmart, he should be with us. We should be anxiously waiting to hear what he has to say to us. And when he says what he says, we should be leaping in faith in whatever he says, knowing that he is the one who will always provide for us. He is the one who will always protect us. And he's even protected us from the worst thing that we could possibly suffer. Death. But if you're here today, you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, come up here and just tell me. Or, Like I've said before, we can stand on opposite ends of my office or across the sanctuary when everybody leaves, whatever it takes. I can't save you, but I will take whatever time that it takes to sit down and explain to you the one that can't. If you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm hoping and I believe throughout this preparation that what God's intention in this was is overarching intent. I understand you're all going to get something different out of this. You should. Your relationship with Jesus is individual. But every one of these have kind of a, an overarching focus uh, when it starts, when, uh, when, when the Lord leads me into it. And the overarching fo focus is this. Your Christianity is like shoestrings. You walk around in them all the time and don't maintain them, they're going to loosen up. And in Christianity, it's the same thing that I've told people with Christianity is like putting a marble on the center of a flat plate. And because our lives are so off-center, that marble moves. And as Christians, we should constantly be tipping the plate to try to keep the marble on the center of the plate. As long as the marble is on the center of the plate, we're in the center of God's will. We will roll outside of God's will quite often as human beings. Happens. The question is, how do we respond to that? Do we see God as someone who's going to hit us over the head because we've made a mistake? Or do we see him as someone who has given us forgiven our forgiveness for past, present, and future sins because he knew we would need it? Everything he's exhibited is love. He's not harsh with anyone. The only thing that he expects out of any of us is to hear his voice and then be obedient and faithful to it. Life. 
does get better with Jesus in it. Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. Have a blessed week and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.